Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister in the Church of God Cleveland Movement, and thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast today called, Where Are We Going? It's a podcast that asks hard questions about a variety of issues related to the kinds of deceptive and destructive power that's wielded by cultism and abusive churches all around us, as well as the other kinds of questions asked by so many of our different and, and very, very contrary times. This podcast is one of the services of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach of discernment in our deceptive world that has been ongoing since 1993. You can learn more about us at our website, spiritwatch.org, and keep up to date using our Facebook and our YouTube links there on the page as well. Now, we're always seeking new audiences, and we appreciate the help spreading the word around your internet community about our podcast. We're now found on Spotify, Google, and Amazon podcast channels, and if you're visiting from there, thank you so very much. Now, we've been down for a few weeks here on a, on a short and unplanned hiatus, but we're back again, and we're going to continue our podcasts regarding this sort of deception we've been talking about. And we're going to today focus upon, once again, the Xenos slash Dwell movement that calls itself a church in Columbus, Ohio, but it's actually no more than a destructive cult. Uh, we hate to say it. We hate to be the bearers of bad news, but uh, we have to call the, sp- the the proverbial spade a spade when we see it. Uh, this podcast, I think, today will be very eye-opening, and we think you're going to find a lot to think about listening to it today. And once again, we are grateful to uh, be able to host the voices of people who are survivors of, of all kinds of uh, religious abuse that goes on in movements that we call cults today. That's the reason why this podcast episodes go as they have. We've found that our podcast sharing with people who have been in these dark places and have found the courage to speak out about them have been very helpful to a lot of people. It's amazing how much fan mail, if I can call it that, we get from those who don't like what's being said. There are those who want to deny that these things uh, can possibly be or that the people who share them can be people of integrity whatsoever. And those people, you know, you, you know it's in America, it's a free country, as we say, you know, and uh, I'm a veteran. I served uh, for you to uh, speak your mind and send your emails and say what you do. And, and I've, I've served for you to have the right to be wrong which I believe you are. <laughs> so many of these people that write in that, that don't like what's been said are, are, are increasing. But, you know, at this point, like I said, they're, it's, it's really rather shrill sounds they make, and uh, we're not really all that terribly uh, worried about our, our, our walk with God or, <laughs> or whether or not we, we've been left to, uh, you know, to, to believe a lie. We believe that the people that are stepping forward are people of integrity. 
people who have been someplace and who have experienced things that most people would never even talk about. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, people are stepping forward and uh, giving themselves uh, uh, or, laying, or laying themselves out uh, for the world to see. And one of those that we're discussing with today is uh, a former Xenos member named uh, Megan McGowan. And Megan, thank you so much uh, for reaching out to us. Uh, you, It's been a while. You were one of the first ones to actually reach out to us, and there's been a lot going on in your life and a lot of different things that uh, you've, you've uh, had to deal with. But I'm glad that we've finally gotten the time to sit down and, and chat today. Thank you for, for stopping by uh, our podcast today. Thanks for talking with me. This it means a lot to be able to share my story. Well, great, and that's what we're all about. We we I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I want you to just uh, be fearless, you know, say as say and share as you would. And so, um, and you are responding specifically to the fact that you had been in the Xenos slash Dwell movement for it looks like I think I think four years. I think you said from 2012 to 2016. Is that correct? Yes, four years. Okay. So um, so you went into it and you left it, and it was not, I guess, uh, the experience that you thought it was going to be. What did it? It turned out to be something entirely different, which is why you left. Does that sound uh, like, like, a, like a good summary of where you're at? Or, um, uh, yes, somewhat. I was forced to leave. I was excommunicated. So it wasn't actually my choice to leave, and it it took me a while after I was kicked out before I was able to start recognizing the abuse and that it would not be healthy for me to go back, because my goal was to be accepted back in when I was disciplined out. Right. And would you say that that's pretty common with a lot of people that kick out, that people would love to go back if they would just comply with some standard that they've been laid down to live by? I don't know. Um, I hadn't personally known anyone who had been disciplined out when okay. I was in it for four years. And so the first discipline meeting I was ever a part of was the one in which I was excommunicated. Wow. Um, no. And then also, there isn't um, communications cut off when you, you know, when when you're kicked out. And so, I didn't really have communication with um, ex. There was only one ex member I'm, that I met while I was in Venus, and. Did you, did you ever think, like, in the back of your mind, this person couldn't be trusted? There's something, something fundamentally wrong with them that they couldn't that they couldn't hack it there in Zenos. Yes, I mean the, I mean this person was a, a, um, I think a kind of maybe unique case. The first time she met me, she literally told me she wanted to rape me with a cactus, and so I. What? <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre, but she was just, um, my, my friend invited her along. She was just looking at me like, it's talking to me. I'd be calling me it. Um, 
said my voice reminded her of Powerpuff Girls and that she hated them and wanted to raise them with a cactus. And she was just very, um, wow. She was very, uh, I don't know, verbally aggressive and mean. And so I took this as, cause my other friend told me, Oh, I have this friend. She'd been, you know, kicked out when she really needed help, whatnot. It's a bad, you know, a bad group. And then I met this person and she was, you know, she talked to me, as I just said. And so I discounted all the stuff. I thought, no, she probably wasn't kicked out because she had a kid, you know, before being married or something like that. Uh Because I knew someone in my group at the time who had a kid and wasn't married. Um, and so I thought she probably was literally just telling all the new people that, you know, things like she said to me and they were like, you need to like, you know, I thought this is a person it would make sense to, you know, have not come back to the group if she verbally assaults people like that the first time she meets them. That's not a very welcoming uh, Bible study. So she, she was the only one I met and I've never met anyone else like her. Yeah. And so, perhaps she anyway. was just. Perhaps she was just. You know, I, I, yeah. There's some people who are just going to be that way. Who are very agra- very abrasive. Uh, perhaps she was acting out, though. I mean, you know, maybe she's being aggressive because she saw you as just another person that uh, you know reminds her of of what of what uh, situation she found herself in, and and that's not healthy, of course. That's not. That's not a decent way to talk to people by any means but but perhaps that may have been behind it it's it's really hard to say not knowing but um but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves we're talking about your your excommunication so tell me what 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 was life like before you got involved in xenos i understand you had you've been uh you had been uh like i said only involved with it four years how old were you when you got involved i would have oh goodness i would have been um maybe 22, 23. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I guess, um, oh my goodness. I have to, now I have to do, um, well, you were, right. Yeah. Well, you weren't a Xenos baby. In other words, you weren't raised in it then, or, I mean, I mean, you, you, you had come into knowing about Xenos. I mean, how did you get recruited then? I mean, if you weren't, in, if you were involved in just for four years. Yeah. So I joined year. right after graduating college. Um, okay. And I, so I went to college, um, like in Springfield, Ohio. And when I graduated, I moved back to Columbus, Ohio. And when I came back, I started, you know, attending the church I grew up in again. And it was, it was a little rough in that, you know, I grew up in a suburb. And so in a suburban church, there, there wasn't a whole lot for young adult community, basically families or students. Um, And so I just kind of felt like there was a, like this kind of, whole. I mean, yeah. Okay. Also, like young adults aren't going to um, probably live in a suburb. <laughs> so anyway, um, I so I was attending there, but I was kind of struggling a bit to find a place. And then one of my friends uh, from my church growing up, she invited me to attend Xenos. Uh, she 
I had started attending it. And I thought, okay, so I went to her Bible study, which was a home church. It had maybe 30 people or so um, in it. And I thought I really liked it because, well, there were a lot of, you know, young adults, something that there were basically none of in the um, suburban church I was attending. And also they had a long, um, you know, Bible study and they went in depth in the scriptures. It seemed a little more academic than a lot of Bible studies. And I, I really like, you know, intellectual discussions and, and stuff like that. So, and people seem passionate, um, about following God. And so I thought this sounds really great. Also the, the church that I was a part of when I was living in Springfield, um, was, um, as a college student was so, was wonderful and it was based in house churches. And so that's, you know, where membership was, you were part of a smaller house church and then all the house churches got together, you know, during the week and um, they were really trying to, you know, stress the relationships and community. And when I moved back to Columbus, I really missed that. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to find another church like that. Then my friend invites me to Zenos, and it seemed yeah. to be similar yeah. to the church I really missed from yeah. Springfield, um, at least at first, at first glance. I mean... It was obviously a whole lot bigger. <laughs> and yeah. also in Springfield, it was like, inter, you know, multi-generational in like groups instead of just like all young right. adults. But. Right. So it just seemed like, you know, like um, the fish to the fly. I mean, it was, it was attractive because it was something you were familiar with. And it, and it's, it, sound, it seemed like it was something that was going to, you know, you know, meet your personal needs on so many different levels. And, and of course it's a, it's a biblical form of fellowship. It, the, the pattern is biblical where you have small groups coming around scripture and sharing with one another. And basically, as we, as we say in other places, doing life together, you're coming together to hang out and develop relationships and then, um, and, and, and try to make, try to take, uh, your, your faith very seriously in the context of, 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 of a community of people who, who are going to hang with you and, and make, make sense of, of the Christian life with you together. And that's, and that certainly is a very attractive people to a very attractive uh, option for people who feel so rootless these days in churches, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I didn't want to be somewhere where like I was just a, you know, a seat and no one would notice if I was there or not. I wanted to really be part of a community and it seemed like it would, it would be that. (laughs) Right. So it went, so as you went on and kept going back, uh, I I assume that uh, your participation level began to grow then you began to really get invested in it. Yeah. Okay. So as you went on and, 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 and got more involved and, and, uh, what was the progress? So you, you, you were going to, to his, a group and then, uh, were there, were there, were there overtures made to you by, um, by the leaders there to, you know, get more involved and, and, and where did you go with that at, at that point? So there wasn't any, 
like direct pressure to get more involved. It was, um, it was a little more in, indirect in that, you know, I was attending, so there was home church on Monday nights and then central teaching on Thursday nights. And so I was attending those two meetings every week and the meetings also included a hangout afterwards. So it would be from like, you know, 8 p.m. to midnight, like is, I don't know, maybe a typical, um, for each of those. And then, um, I found out that the other, like basically all the other women were in a sep, a smaller like women's only Bible study on Fridays. And I wondered why I wasn't invited to it. And so it was just kind of shared of, oh, there's that, like, oh, that's for, you know, committed people. And, I remember thinking, like, well, like, I'm here. I want to follow God. I'm regularly attending. Like, why, you know, kind of, like, wait, why am I not invited to this other Bible yeah. study, yeah. you know? And so, and I, I wanted to be part of it. You know, these were the, this was a community I was forming, the friends I was making. And from how it seemed to me, I was one of the only people not in this, you know, Friday Big Friday night one, and uh, so it was. So yeah, I wasn't. Pre- yeah, there was no pressure that I should join that one, but it was kind of. I don't know. I felt like it was there as a a thing of oh, I want that and I can't have it yet, and how do I, you know, it. I don't know. Kind of. Like, when will they think I'm, in? <laughs> I don't know, right. where right. they going to go or something? Not that I thought of that directly um, right. or uh, uber consciously. Um, okay, so in your experience, you're saying that uh, you they were content to have you come out, and you were, of course, glad to be fellowshipping with uh, at the at the the meeting, the house church meeting. But then again, there was a different level of of, of fellowship that you'd hope to get that was kind of being being, I think, kind of more uh, turned into, lack of a better word, uh, a, a bait. Uh, yeah. You were on the proverbial carrot and stick, you know. They used a lot of stick and a little bit of carrot there, and that, and that was kind of dangled before you as a means to just really you know, continue to be, I guess, assessed or looked at. I mean, uh, did you did you feel that that's what they were doing then? Uh, that's what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, that's how I see it now. At the time, I didn't think they were baiting me. I mean, if I thought they were baiting me, I would have left. But that is what it was. That's how I responded. But, it I mean, I never thought about, you know, baiting someone with, like, a more exclusive Bible study. (laughs) It just wasn't on my radar of something that someone would do. And I've been involved in you know, multiple churches. I grew up in church and I, you know, that wasn't how any other group I was uh-huh. part of operated. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, especially with how they have the, so it would be a prayer group followed by the cell group, which is what they called the men and women's Bible studies that they, they split up, you know, um, gender. And it was on Friday nights. So, 
it's just really natural if, okay, these are your new friends, and then maybe say, oh, like this Friday night, like, oh, do you want to do this? And the answer is always, oh, no, I can't because I have, like, cell group. And so it just, it it had this feeling of being also, like, socially cut off from the group as well as the bait of, like, to be respected spiritually that you would be invited. Uh, wow. So with all that in the back of your mind and you're still going, I mean, um, how was it meeting your needs? How, how was at least being in, in, in the home church, how was that uh, drawing you back? I mean, what you said you're, you're a bunch of people that were interacting and talking to you and sharing with you and making friends with you, and yet there seemed to be this line that they were kind of drawing around you that in which they were, I guess, engaging only to a point. I mean, can you respond to that? I mean, what was, if, if, if you felt like there was a carrot and stick thing approach here with this women's fellowship, I mean, what was the fellowship? Or, I mean, what was the, the quality of relationships in, in your home church like then? How were, how were they, did you feel that they were trying to direct you some way? I mean, what was that like? I didn't feel like they were trying to direct me. I right. just thought I was making friends and, that it was with people who also wanted to follow God and who were interested in deep relationships. And it was, I don't remember how long before I even found out about cell group, but I didn't know about it at first. I thought there were just the two meetings um, each week. And then <sighs> however many weeks later, um, you know, that I'm regularly attending and I find out there's this other meeting that no one talked about. And it was just kind of like, what? Like, wait, why hasn't someone told me this before? Like, the the way I find out is by, you know, inviting, you know, my friend. I think it was my birthday, and I was asking if she wanted to, like, go out and do something with me, but she couldn't because she had Bible study. Um, and wow. That's strange. Then, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember if I was invited to hang out afterward. I know we when I was in cell group later, I know we would invite people to our hangout after the Bible study, but that just, it just seemed, it was, I think I picked my friend up after the Bible study, then, and then she went with me and we, you know, hung out for being my birthday, but it, I just felt, I, I just know I felt very othered when, like, I went there and, um, I, I don't know, but I, I didn't think they were trying to bait me. I thought it was odd, but I was, I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not a very suspicious person. I'm a pretty, like, trusting person, and I didn't, it didn't raise red flags for me. And so, I mean, I remember thinking, this is weird. I don't understand, but I didn't the idea that there was some sort of like high control or cult thing going on never crossed my mind. Uh, right. Um, I just right. thought this is weird. Like, I don't know, but people are weird. So, and sometimes they do weird things and they don't realize it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's an exclusionary measure here. That's, that's kind of puzzling. You know, why, why would a Christian church, uh, all about the Bible, all about community. Why would at this point suddenly break down and decide to, and decide to 
you know, create smaller groups within itself and yet keep you in the dark about it. Why, why would anyone, why would any church want to do that? I mean, um, why would you want to go someplace where you, you think everybody's about fellowship and, 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 and you know, good old fashioned biblical koinonia? Uh, I'm sure that word was probably thrown around a little bit, literally meaning, you know, deep, intimate fellowship. The biblical words, what the is what the New Testament speaks of in terms of interaction with Christians, and yet, this, and yet, you're running across this. You're running across a bunch of people that that make it all seem almost quite tribal. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, how, how did you, you said you move finally did move on to a cell group? How how did that happen? I mean, if you were being kept in the dark about a lot of things, how did you finally start getting more involved beyond home church? Um, a leader invited me to start attending cell group. Ah, okay. And so, so then um, I started attending, and I know that after I started attending, I was then I was added to a Facebook group for the home church. Our home church was called Alaska. Um, and so anyway, so there's this Alaska home church Facebook group, and I remember I'm in it, and then I look at who's members, and I thought like, oh. Like, huh, why isn't this person a member? So I invited someone else that I regularly talk to at home church to the group. And then I remember afterwards, some of the leaders took me aside, hey, don't invite other people to the group. Like, this is just for people who are in, I don't know, like, whatever. But basically, oh, there might be prayer requests about the person. We don't want them to, like, see it or whatnot. And I remember thinking... Huh. That was odd, um, because, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, the Facebook group was, I guess, exclusive too. And I assume that's after I joined Cell Group. Maybe I was a part of the Facebook group before I was part of Cell Group. I don't know, but it was around the same time. Um, so, so each of these home churches, they have their own, you're saying they have individual names and individual Facebook group, Facebook groups. That they uh, um, do a lot of socializing in. I mean, and, and it's all meant to be very exclusive to that specific group. Is that is that right? Is that what goes on? Is that what you saw there when you were a part of Xenos? More or less. So I'm not sure about if every group had their own Facebook group. I assume so, but right. um, it's. I mean, most of the communication wasn't actually on the Facebook group. Um, it was mostly in person. I mean, you were with people basically every day. Okay. So you didn't really need to be relying on online. But yeah, right. each home church had a different name. Okay. Uh, and like some were randomly named after states. Um, like, you know, mine. There was also later there's like Georgia home church or ah, I can't even think of what some I don't know, but they had Various names, some of them random. One of them was called 614, which was the, the area code for phone numbers in Columbus. Yeah. Um, I don't know, just one used to be called Sardonyx. Um, I don't know, it was kind of random. Yeah. Um, people would pick names for the home churches. Also, each home church had a... Uh, male and female ministry house, and each ministry house had a name, um, which, you know, I think, you know, it made it, uh, which granted, you didn't necessarily need a name for the ministry house, but at least naming the home churches 
it did make it easier to kind of, you know, re- refer to them. I think that just makes sense organizationally, right. logistically. Right. Um, but some of the naming schemes were kind of strange. Like Xenos was obsessed with drug references. And so, for example, our, the boys ministry house for Alaska was called the trap, um, which is a drug reference. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I think it's where you sell drugs, like a house where you sell drugs, I think. I don't know. I've never heard of it before that. I'm not the most knowledgeable with pop culture. Uh, so anyway, and then, um, or another house I know was called the Bando, and that's if people use an abandoned house, I think also for drugs. I don't know. It's, um, but there was a lot of, a lot of that, even though, you know, it wouldn't be. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was really kind of strange and immature. Yeah. Um, well, they're trying to find, they're, 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 they're trying to sign, they're trying to sound like, like these street wise, street cred people who are, who are on the down low, who really got what, who really are deep in, deep in, in relevancy to the culture. And, and, and it wants to be an urban, a gritty urban culture with a kind of an edge to it. And then, you know, that always sounds very, very attractive to, you know, people who want, who want their religion with a little bit of drama on the side, wouldn't you say? I, I think so. I think also it was, um, my guess is it probably came from some of the, you know, leaders to be able to, um, it, you know, they had to have the church look relaxed and it, it needed this cool, relaxed vibe right. because of like how controlling it was. And right. so the fact that like they regularly offered alcohol to minors in that, um, you know, probably half the members were like chain smokers. Um, right. You know, that, that those were things that, you know, they did, or they used a lot of, a lot of, um, slang and, I mean, it awkwardly, cause you know, you have these white boys from suburbs trying to use ghetto slang and that's just so offensive. Um, (laughs) Granted, I'm a white girl from a suburb and so it's not offensive to my like (laughs) community, but I just look at that and it just, in my mind, I would think what a poser, like why are you trying to pretend like you came from the inner city or came from the ghetto because you think it's cool. Probably if people came from that, they probably would have rather have come from an affluent family like yours. I don't know. Maybe they don't, but I, uh, anyway, it was, it was just really, it was really odd. Um, Try, they were trying to be something they weren't. And, yes. and, 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 and in terms of the, in terms of the Xenos members trying to put on a persona, you know, put on this facade that they're, that they're, they're this way and, and they're really just trying to play into a role. They're, 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 they're playing a role out, uh, within, uh, within the culture, even though they're supposed to go there and just be themselves in Christ, even though it's supposed to be all Christians here, they have to, Play a certain 
a, a certain, like I said, a, a role of, of somewhat. And, and um, I find it very interesting that you mentioned making something that's, that's been very, very uh, something we, we, we don't want to lose sight of in terms of understanding your, your, your situation. But it sounds to me like what you just said a moment ago in terms of them interacting daily with you every single moment you're you're around someone or not every single moment but, but every single day you're around someone who who was involved in seeing else who you could directly interact with and talk to and, and, and receive information from and, and, and discussion and, and things of that nature. Xenos is a very, very um uh orally centered tradition. It's a it's a cultic movement that uses oral tradition, oral discussion, you know, the spoken word, uh the the handed down saying, uh, as a means of indoctrinating itself and perpetuating the very rules they want people to live by. And that sounds to me like what you're telling me you're seeing there. I yeah, I think I think so. I mean I mean I don't think that Anything was done consciously by, you know, the, by most of the members. Like, it's just that's the culture. And right. it's cool if you use whatever slang or you name your house after, I don't know, whatever reference. Um, and so, you know, people did that. People, you know, you listen to the music your friends listen to, et cetera. Um, but I think that... Uh, and this is something that I'm just assuming, but I think that that culture kind of came from, you know, it had to start somewhere and probably came from higher up because, and I think that's partly why I was caught so off guard and it took me a long time to start noticing any red flags because, you know, you come to a group and right after Bible study, people are cracking open beers. You're not thinking, oh, is this a high control group and I'm on my guard. So when some things happen, you know, it just seems like they're a really relaxed group and that they aren't strict because, um, at least superficially, they seem to not be strict. Um, right. Right. Um, or not necessarily superficially, like giving, you know, alcohol to minors is like also breaking the law and stuff. But also, if you brought that up, like I know when I was more involved, um, and I, I did, you know, say like, I, you know, I don't think we should be, you know, giving alcohol to minors when they come to, you know, our ministry house, um, or to one of our home church events or parties. And, you know, not that you can control what people do in their individual life, but you shouldn't be giving alcohol to people that you know for a fact are <laughs> under 21, you know? Right. Um, but right. I was told that I was being a fundy Christian and that Christian churches made way too big of a deal of drinking and it wasn't a big deal and it was more important for ministry. Um, Why? Why would they explain to you it was important for ministry, for Christian ministry? Why is it important to have a, you know, have a, you know, Colt 45 in your hand or a 20 ounce? Why, why is that important? To ministry, can you explain to me what what they what they would say? Uh, that you know they wanted people, quote unquote, of the world to feel comfortable coming in, and that you know any other setting they would go to, um, in a college setting, 
that, oh, there, you know, is alcohol and there isn't any sort of, you're not 21, you don't drink. Um, You're not smoking, you're not vaping. Yeah. um, Yeah, so I think it was, yeah, the idea was to um, help people feel like accepted and that, you know, the group wasn't like yeah. from the onset trying to, um, control their behavior with drinking. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Um, but they wanted, they wanted the wild people to feel like they were a part. And so therefore they use these common denominators of social bonding to bring them together. Right. Uh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, yeah, I don't know. It's, but they just, and also, you know, it was one of the things, and, and it's something I do agree with in this regard is that, um, I think churches do often focus, uh, way too much on stuff like drinking and sex and mm-hmm. not enough on things like greed. Um, exactly. Right. And so, you know, in that regard, like, yes, like, this isn't the ultimate, you know, not saying like, oh, you got drunk or something is the ultimate sin of all sins. But at the same time, you shouldn't really give alcohol to minors, especially like official, you know, church events or church houses, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, right, exactly. Uh, I don't, you know, when Jesus hung out, when you read the Bible, (laughs) And you see how he hung with his disciples, how he how he went out with with other people, not necessarily within his within his inner discipling group, his, the, the, the the twelve disciples. You know, it's it's hard for me to imagine that they passed around a sack of wine, and all they did was was reminisce about about what what they were going to do, what they were, or how they were going to just relax, and how they were going to do anything after Jesus had just broke bread of life with them and had shared scripture with them. I don't think they sat around and drank wine. I mean, he he gave them information for a reason. He was he was providing for them uh, the very uh, mandates and, and and commandments of God to them in a way that that also encouraged them to be real to be loving to be holy to be uh con- to be accepting of others i i don't think uh that his 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 example uh was in any way shape or form trying to con- con- to conform to the to the cultural practice of drinking wine every single time they sc- they read scripture that, that just wasn't what happened but Zenos wants to be a, 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 an example of a relevant 20th century christianity fine they're going to do that and that's fine yeah. they, they, they want to do it that's perfectly fine yet i don't see that as a as a biblical mandate whatsoever and i do agree with you the most important things they need to be concerned about are things like love, acceptance, tolerance, prayer for one another. They should be concerned about about about, about moral strictures, like like am, am I being too cruel? Am I being too petty? Am I not forgiving? You know, those important things are are, are really, like I said, what underlie why people you know get involved in extreme behaviors and 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 then maybe go on and and have illicit relationships those are the things that are where i think really where it seems that uh what you're sharing with me is where xenos really is is blowing it 
They, they really want to be so relevant to the point where, uh, they want people to really think that in order to be a Christian, you, you gotta be cool and cool people do this and do that. And, and, and then they also at the same time listen to what they're being told to by those over them. And then is that kind of, uh, what you, what you found? In? I, I think so. They, they wanted to be, yeah, cool and relevant. And a lot of the decisions that were made, there were spiritual explanations given, even if it didn't, you know, rationally form the best argument. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's, because yeah, there were, there were very specific things that it was basically like leaders condoned, you know, doing this. Like some leaders disagreed, but like leaders were on board with like there being alcohol and knew it was going to underage people, you know, um, it, but so like, okay. So breaking the law was the, was the big issue. What did they do to see it as an illegal thing? Uh, it wasn't illegal at all. Um, yeah, not, not from the eyes of, I guess, Zenos. Like they knew it was, they knew it was, you know, technically illegal, but they thought, uh, I don't know. Um, honestly, I can't exactly say what they thought, but they condoned it, um, to the extent that every home church I know of, like in the college group, regularly gave alcohol to minors. Yeah. Um, right. And there were, you know, a lot of them. So it was just that and with chain smoking. And also they would give cigarettes to people who were, you know, under 18, you know, in the high school groups too. Granted, I wasn't part of that. So I shouldn't probably share that as part of my story because I didn't, um, I don't have any eyewitness account of that. I just, um, you know. Well, you're not alone, though. That's, 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 you may not have seen it, but a lot of other people surely have. You know, and I, as you said, it's just an attempt by, uh, by a church group to seem cool to a mm-hmm. bunch of young men and women who they hope to recruit who are experimenting with adult behaviors that they can't get at home or maybe at their own home church, but what you can go to Zenos and yeah, you, you, you can try that. Try that, uh, that kind of menthol thing there or, 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 or sip that, uh, that, that, uh, latest hard, uh, lemonade. You know, it's, it's, these are the cool mm-hmm. behaviors among adults that, that seem so together and yet who really yeah. are just part of this social experiment that, uh, Xenos really is. It, it makes me think of the song. I don't know if you, uh, remember the song by Adam and the Ants back in the eighties, uh, the song called Goody Two Shoes. And there's one line in there that goes, don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? You know? And <laughs> so there's always this challenge to not seem like you're this, like this, this really, you know, straight up, you know, hardcore, uncool person. You've got to fit in. And that's what you saw. Yes. Um, and like to, to the extent one time actually, so there were a couple people who were, um, they were considered outreach. They've been coming to home church. And they regularly, you know, were, you know, were, were drunk. And at one point, um, uh, I think we went bowling as a group. And then it ended up that I would be riding with those two people. And I just remember when I was in the car with them, um, they handed me a beer and I said like, you know, like, no, no, thank you. Um, and they're like drinking literally while driving. Um, and I should have you know, for my safety said, like, please, 
like pull over and then, you know, I would have called someone. You were mentioning the, uh, I guess the cool factor about, uh, about drinking and driving and, and that you were driving with some, you were driving with someone and uh, let me share if I can understand this correctly. You just mentioned that you were driving with people and they were drinking. Was the driver drinking too? Yes, the driver was. So, and they, they were not members of Xenos. They were people who were just, you know, attending, but there was such an emphasis in the culture of like, yeah, we can't be, and of course you don't want to be judgmental, um, you know, wrongly or, you know, extra like to, you know, um, you know, people outside of the church or tell them they have to, live their life a different way according to a book they don't think is the word of God. But at the same time, like that, like I didn't say, Hey, please stop the car. Like, I don't want to be in the car. This isn't safe because they were literally drinking while, you know, the driver and the passenger were both drinking, you know, Um, I just like stayed in for the whole ride. I didn't, you know, drink anything (laughs) in the car, but um, I, you know, it was in my mind, you know, it was so much with like, yeah, ministry, that's the like ultimate thing. And don't do anything that will, you know, kind of lessen the ministry. And so it's not that anyone in Xenos told me, oh, you should ride with people even if they're drinking. Like no one ever said that, but I'm just as a part of like the bigger culture of yeah, how right. important that was. And I kind of ingrained that and, I look back on that and I think, Megan, that was so, so stupid and so, you know, irresponsible. And, you know, luckily there wasn't a car accident, but, you know, I put myself in a very, um, you know, uh, dangerous right. scenario for bad reasons. Yeah. Um, and also like, but, it was just with like the drinking and the smoking where there, it was relaxed. Like there was, there was no relaxed thing when it came to anything to deal with like sex. Um, well, a bit like the, the, the church of course had the stance that pornography is sinful, but they were lenient for people who watch pornography. Like you could still be a leader and regularly watch pornography Really? You have to, um. How did you know it, that? How, did you hear um, about people that did that? Leaders yeah, that watch pornography? Yeah, so at least what I know from, and I won't give any names, but what I know from, well, my now husband at the time, he was my boyfriend. So we were both kicked out, um, cause we, you know, we reached third base, told people about it, um, it happened three times. And, um, you know, we were, you know, kicked out. Um, but it's, but I know that some of the leaders in his group who were part of voting him out, he knew from personal relationships with them, they, like, that they regularly watched pornography, they struggled with pornography, like, they agreed it was a sin, but, like, it was allowable for leaders to watch, you know, pornography be involved in sex trafficking, all the stuff, you know, wrapped up in that. But the fact that, you know, my boyfriend and I 
hit like third base, which was sinful. And we agreed with, and we talked with people and said, this happened, you know? So I know with my, so yeah, with my boyfriend at the time, the, some of the men involved in, you know, kicking him out because, you know, we reached third base together. Um, yeah, they were involved with, you know, um, watching pornography. And I'm not trying to argue that they should have all been kicked out of the church for it, but there were just particular sins that if you, if you, you know, physically were involved with like a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, that was one you'd be kicked out for, but, um, you probably are not going to get kicked out for pornography. Um, for definitely you're not going to be kicked out for greed. Um, it's the only people, the only cases I know of people being kicked out, it was either had to deal with sexual sin and or mental health issues, um, with people being kicked out and, you had to, so yeah, but they, so I think with the drinking, the smoking, they needed that, you know, that very, very visible thing. Oh, also the cussing. There was a lot of cussing, a lot of crude sexual joking. And so it gave the appearance of people who weren't uptight. But yeah. then, yeah, you know, it's, so, so I think it was, I mean, it just served as a, you know, facade. And, um, there were a bunch of things like, I know for, they wanted you to conform in ways that they thought would be even more attractive to ministry. So I know like I had people talk with me about how I didn't shave and, um, that I, you know, should consider shaving for ministry. This didn't come from top level leaders again. Um, I know that one of the elders made a joke cause, well, I was quoted in, you know, the Daily Beast article, and I was one of the people who brought up the hair thing, and I know that James Rochford in a joke, we have no official position on armpit hair, you know, like, ha-ha, this is so stupid, someone brought this up. But it's not that Xenos had an official position, but it's just the culture was so controlling that if you did something that someone in your group perceived as being um, unattractive to ministry, they tried to get you to conform in stupid things. Like they wanted me to shave my legs and my armpits. Um, and I had more than one person talk to me about it. One said it in the realm of think about outreach. Like, you know, maybe you should give up your freedom in Christ to not shave for the sake of people who come out you don't want them to go away and not hear about Jesus because they're grossed out that, you know, you're a hairy woman. Um, I didn't say grossed out that you're a hairy woman. I, those were my words, but you know, that was the line I was given. And then later it was by, this was by a home church leader about how maybe I should, you know, just make sure to not wear sleeveless shirts because it was distracting when I raised my arm in home church, um, especially distracting to the guys that I had armpit hair visible. Um, so they wanted me to cover, cover up, um, to kind of fit in. And, you know, I, it, it's, 
we're, it's we're, stupid, but it just represents something way bigger. <laughs> well, were these? Well, see, well, well, it's a double standard. I mean, it's a it's a complete double standard. It's it's a lowering of yourself of of social situations to the lowest level. You're you're appealing to people through fleshly means, through carnal means, through through means that that uh, com- that completely uh, enthrall them uh, with with their own natural desires. This has nothing to do with with the work of the Spirit of God. It's entirely it's it's, it's a complete if I, if I may use the word a complete bastardization of the Christian faith and Christian fellowship into it's just something entirely different. That's not what that's not what, what what Christian fellowship is. You don't lower yourself to bring people in there. It doesn't. Even though there's a Bible verse that says, "Yeah, I become I, to the Greeks, I become a Greek; to the Romans, I become a Roman." That that, that that doesn't in any way, shape, or form uh, imply that you should lower yourself uh, to that kind of degree that you that you're telling me that they they do. I mean, I would imagine we, now, let, and you can tell me whether this is true or not. Uh, when it came to dress standards. I mean, in the summertime when it's warm, and the ministry houses, I'm sure, get pretty warm, regardless of what kind of air conditioning they have. Uh, I imagine that that women were perhaps were maybe incumbent were coming upon to dress maybe a little a little less um, or a little a little uh, more liberally, shall I say, as as opposed to men. Um, I mean, I, I would assume then that you know men could go walk in there and have muscle shirts on and have, and share their own, and, and wave their hair all over the place where women couldn't. Uh, women that, that you, you you know everyone wore shorts, but you know maybe women could wear uh, uh, shorter shorts. You know, they're not to be so uptight. I mean, is that is that the kind of thinking that you're telling me you saw was there? I mean, I mean, in terms of dress and things of that nature. Um, so yeah, women weren't expected to dress like very like uber conservatively like it was okay to wear tank tops and whatnot it was just because my armpits were hairy um (laughs) i shouldn't because that was distracting like this was actually i mean we had a beach trip we went on every year and it was the norm for like women to wear bikinis um so that was i mean so there, there weren't the, so from the, from the outside, it didn't look like things were strict. Wow. Um, right. This just seemed to be very relaxed. Supposedly yeah. to make people feel that they were in a place they could be safe and they could be accepted. And all the while, while your Bible study leader who watches porn cusses like a, like a sailor and then and pops open a couple of beers after, uh, uh, or a few brewskis after uh, reading the book of uh, Corinthians. I mean, just they're trying to integrate that into. In, 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 I mean, again, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to start getting into. I'm, I've already done too much already, but it just sounds to me like what they're doing here in these ministry houses and in these settings is it's just kind of lowering the social standards to the point where you just stick the Bible in and get a verse in now here and then. And hope that maybe these people will be ministered to. And, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of ministry that's supposed to be, but that sounds to me what's, what's, what's going on there. Uh, you mentioned I mean, the, I'm sorry, the teachings ahead. were very good. Like, sure. they were, yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're using Bible and verse, and yet at the same time, there's no connection with real life. At one point, when I, um, in our women's so group, and we were studying, 
oh goodness, I forget where it was, but um, in Ephesians, when it talks about, you know, making sure that your language is like building up and not using uh, like crude language and stuff. And I mentioned that because crude language was very common of like, you know, this seems like something we should like, you know, repent of and try to be, you know, better with. And people just disregarded it of like, oh, yeah. no, like that's, no, that's not really like what it means. Cause it's, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It was, um, interesting. Yeah. There were certain like pockets where Z- Xenos culture was more important than scripture. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. in most areas of scripture, or I don't know about most, but the the church is very, very biblical with the vast majority of its theology. And there's a lot of studying of the Bible. People are very knowledgeable about the Bible. But, the yeah, there are certain categories in which, um, yeah, Xenos always, always trumps the Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it, it needs these certain things to be able to operate and you know because it's not until it wasn't until I was really involved in it that I noticed my first red flag and I was so immersed in it already I think I was already living in a ministry house at this point and um, I think they need that culture so that people don't realize it's a cult until you're so engrossed in it that you're so willing to make excuses because like, this is your life. Um, um, But yeah, I know the, for me, the first red flag was at college connection, which is for the high schoolers, um, mainly for seniors, maybe they also have juniors. I don't know, but juniors and seniors in high school and they get them all together and kind of give this big pitch of, Hey, you should join the college group in Xenos, you know. And uh, when I remember the first one I attended, um, Conrad H- um, Hilario, um, was, he was an elder at the time. Now he's a senior elder. And he was saying, um, you know, what we have here is unique. Um, we've looked all over the U.S. trying to find another church like this. Um, if you know of one, let us know. We're interested. But what God's doing here is very unique. You're not going to find another church with, I don't know, and he lists whatever positive characteristics and basically argues, like, you need to stay in Columbus and stay in Zenos. Like, you are called to be in this fellowship, and if you go to college elsewhere, you're putting other things above God. People change their major. People don't even end up following the career and what they major in like so often. So the fact that you would move and leave this church that's literally the best church in the U.S., <laughs> um, you know, because this other college has this uh, major that you're interested in, that, um, yeah, that that, you know, Basically, that would be considered idolatry. And then they had some um, uh, college freshmen come up and give testimonies. And uh, one of the freshmen who spoke said, hey, yeah, I was accepted into Harvard, um, but I declined. And instead, I decided to go to, um, you know, Ohio State University because I decided it was more important for me to follow God and to go to Harvard. 
Um, and mm-hmm. my yeah. life is amazing. Xenos is awesome. And yeah, I remember that being something that was a big red flag because, you know, I had gone to college in another city, you know, before I even knew about Xenos. Um, and, you know, it's something where, you know, I was able to follow God in another place, like in other churches. And Xenos wasn't the only, you know, place. So you were getting the very clear sense from Xenos that uh, you really couldn't go anywhere else outside them and find the Lord or, or serve him anywhere else except within Xenos to really be accepted before God. Yes, that is... Although they would never technically say you cannot, you know, accept Christ or anything, or there's no salvation outside Zenos, they would never say that, and they didn't. But it was apparent that anyone who chose to leave the church Zenos was putting something else above God. And so mm-hmm. anyone who left Zenos, quote-unquote, like, walked away. So if you decided I'm going to, um, you know, for me, I, I attended Wittenberg University before I knew about Xenos. But, you know, if I had been in Xenos in high school and then decided to go to Wittenberg, I would have been someone who walked away and chose her studies over following God because mm-hmm. in their mind, they were the best church in the U.S. and uh, Columbus has multiple colleges and OSU or, or uh, the Ohio State University it has a lot of really good programs and whatnot. so they basically said you can get anything you want here we're not asking you to stay in some small town without any career opportunities Mm-hmm. So, why would you leave? God obviously called you here. And I think there was immense pressure on high school students that they had to to stay in Columbus and stay in Xenos. And I know for me, although I already had my degree, thankfully, at this point, uh, and I knew that I was able to have a, you know, deep, strong walk with God, living in another city, attending different churches, um, that I still started developing that mindset. So even though while I listened in college connection to the leaders tell high school students not to go anywhere else, and I was upset by it, I and I disagreed with it, I still decided to limit my career goals because I couldn't leave Xenos. If I left Xenos, it would mean I was walking away from God. And the most important thing to me was my faith, you know, my walk with Christ. And so the, you know, the, you know, the imminent possibility of these people who knew me all looking down on me and, you know, deciding that I, you know, was not serious about my faith. Um, 
that was something that I didn't want to deal with. And I know that's a pride issue, you know, and, you know, <laughs> you know, myself, I know technically it should be what God thinks about you, not what others think about you, but, um, you know, to have your whole community belittle you in the area you consider most important for your identity is a very big thing to try to handle. And I, I mean, I initially wanted to pursue a PhD in physics and I had, you know, my education, all my experience was lined up for me to go that route. And I wanted to go into particle uh, physics. All of my, you know, research experience was in nuclear physics. I, had a, you know, I had multiple internships. One of my internships was at a national particle accelerator lab, um, J-Lab in uh, Virginia. And anyway, so that's, that's what I was all geared up for with my resume, but I couldn't do that and be in Xenos. Um, One, because you can't put all your eggs in one basket. If you're wanting to go to, you know, grad school for physics, it's really competitive. And yes, OSU does have physics. But if I was really going to be serious about pursuing a PhD program, I had to be willing to move. And also, OSU didn't have the specialty I really wanted. Um, It would not have been a top choice based on the career Mm -hmm. I desired. Um, And... Also, even if I did get into the physics program at OSU, that's a very rigorous and demanding program, and the time commitment of Xenos would make it almost impossible to go through um, graduate work. And there are some individuals who, you know, still did it. They still got graduate degree. One of my friends, you know, he was working on a PhD in, I think, material science. Um, so more in the engineering realm. And somehow he managed to do it, and I'm not sure how, but I know I'm not a... <laughs> uh, I'm a very detailed person, and I would spend a lot of time on my studies. And that's what I did in undergrad as well. And there's no way I would have been able to pursue a PhD program um, and still give the full commitment to Xenos. I was struggling working full time and giving that full commitment to Xenos already because, um, I mean, you were up so late. And then once I got really involved, uh, we had, let's see, on Sundays, my girl, the women's ministry house, we had house meetings. On Mondays, we had home church that started at um, 8 and went till midnight, often after midnight, um, with the hangout afterward. And then on Tuesdays, there was hangout at the guy's house toward the end. I stopped going to that because I just needed one day of the week, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Wednesdays I had leadership training courses and that started, the class was from seven to 10. And then there was a hangout afterward. 
um, Thursdays was central teaching, um, you know, again, eight to midnight, uh, kind of a thing. And then on Fridays, you had prayer group and then cell, followed by cell group. And so that was seven, um, until like past midnight. Um, and then on Saturdays, usually there was some Xenos party happening. And, um, and then in addition, I had um, one woman who was my discipler. So we would meet every week, mm-hmm. uh, let's say roughly an hour. Um, and that would be our discipleship meeting. And at one time I was discipling two other women. And so I met with them every week. So that means also three times a week I was meeting with individuals for a discipleship meeting um, yeah. one-on-one. And then you also want to consider you're trying to, you know, maintain friendships, um, both within Xenos and outside of Xenos. Um, most people don't really have friendships outside of Xenos because it's so demanding. That yeah. Basically, you have your friends in Xenos. Everyone outside is nothing more than outreach. Um, right. And uh, I, thankfully, managed to maintain friendships outside of Xenos which was so important, <laughs> especially since, you know, I got excommunicated and lost, um, you know, my whole community. At least I had some other friends. I wasn't in completely alone. It was still insanely hard, but yeah. I'm very yeah. grateful. Yeah. I kept up other friendships. Um, but I know it, At one point, I was working at a pharmaceutical lab, and my shift started at 7 a.m. And so the very late night, you know, every night of the week with Xenos was really hard for that because, you know, a lot of other people were in college. Maybe their first class is 10 a.m., not a big deal. Um, And toward the end of the week, I would would be so exhausted that I would literally just collapse on the floor like not even tripping over anything, but just like I would fall over regularly. Um, And I remember talking with, you know, some individuals in the group of how I thought I needed to start going to bed earlier because I was, um, yeah, I wasn't running on enough sleep. And then you were really on this roll here once you finally finally caught i guess this spirit or this 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 um impetus by the culture of xenos to really you know show yourself approved <laughs> to 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 whatever it is they wanted you really you really threw yourself into it then i mean you to the point you were working yourself to exhaustion wow that's incredible but not yeah. a matter correct yeah it was i mean it was very much so that Everyone, like, I mean, anyone who was <laughs> really in it or committed, you dedicated your life to it. And, in you know, the perspective that uh, I had, most people probably had, was that, oh, we're dedicating our life to God. And that's, you know, the main work. But looking back at it, it wasn't so much about dedicating things to God as dedicating things to Xenos and yeah. to the group. Yeah. And um, even just things like, you know, 
God obviously created us with various physical needs, such as sleep. And when I talked to some other members about how I thought I needed to go to bed earlier, they said, well, you know, you're one of the best evangelists in our group and you're staying up late doing ministry. Don't you think, like, don't you believe that if you prayed to God and asked him to give you the energy for you to be able to keep doing ministry, don't you believe he would answer that prayer? So basically, if I decided to go to bed earlier because my job started at 7 a.m., then I would be declaring to everyone that I didn't trust God enough and that ministry was less important to me. And um, so I didn't go to bed earlier. And I was working myself to exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. I find it amazing, Megan, that your story is, 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 while it's unique and you're sharing so poignantly what obviously what was a very personal decision to throw yourself into something as demanding as this agenda that Xenos wanted you to have, that as, as unique as that is, it's not at all uncommon. I, it seems like every single person we've had on the podcast and those who've never been on it, who've been involved in, in, this, in the same place you were, can say the same thing. Is that it, and, and I find it most interesting that you found yourself career counseled, even though you were a grad, even though you're a graduate, you're a graduate of of of, of a university. Then you got taken up into into um, you got you got involved with Xenos, and then you you caught the same kind of of of, of uh, low key but yet unrelenting pressure that the recruiters are putting on for people to conform themselves to Xenos' agenda for their lives, regardless of what it costs them. And that's what you got yourself into. Uh, and and, and, and it, it began to cost you, literally. Um, and again, it just goes back to what we've been talking about here. When you talk about Xenos not being, people want to defend it not being a cultic movement. Uh, well, they, they just completely don't want to see the very plain Evidence that it is because cults do exactly the same thing. They they turn people into drones, and literally just mm-hmm. slaving away after the agenda of the group, sacrificing themselves totally and utterly, uh, making you uh, absolutely willing to bear whatever cost it would, it would do, uh, regardless um, of of what it would you know wreak in your life or ruin your career or, or, or everything is secondary to what Xenos wanted of you, wasn't it? It, it was, and it's, it's sad. <laughs> um, it's something that I've had to really grieve the loss of my, my dream of what I wanted for my career. Um, and, you know, I've, I've ended up in a, in a different career, and it's one that I'm very passionate about. And I'm starting to come more to terms with the fact that I am not a physicist. I am not researching. I'm not furthering science. That's mm, what yeah. I wanted. Yeah. And it's like I've <laughs> cried many times about yeah. how I feel like I, I gave up on my dreams. And yeah. although, and at the time, I knew it was... I can't because I, I need to stay in Xenos, but 
I knew that wasn't an acceptable reason. So what I ended up doing is I made pros and cons lists for teaching, for going, you know, the PhD route, or instead maybe going to teach um, high school physics. And I made these pros and cons lists and then ended up choosing, I'm going to try this high school route. Um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't a very honest list, even though the pros and cons were very real for the different, you know, career options, like the whole time, like I knew, I knew what the answer was going to be. And this was just my way of, you know, coming up with a rational, um, way to explain why I was switching yeah. um, my goals. Yeah. And, and that was all something uh, that, and of course, was a, was a, was a hard fought, I'm sure, deeply personal struggle within you. And you, and that, that just, like you said, I'm sure bothers you to, to this day. I mean, who wants, who, who wants to, with such a passion as you have, who wants to lose that, uh, to something that was lesser than what you wanted? You know, you, you, you lost sight of something that, that was very, very precious to you. And, and certainly, you know, losing sight of that is something that is not something that you, you get over quickly. Especially when it's, when it was, I think, deeply involved, or deeply embedded in you, that that's what you really felt you were gifted uh, and and willing to do. Yeah, it it is really hard, and there's and you know, not that careers is everything by any means, but mm. I do think that you know, career is a large part of, you know, personal identity. I'm not saying you should yeah. get your worth based on career, but I mean, assume you're not working overtime, 40 hours a week for your entire adult life. That's very significant what you choose for that. And so, you know, you can have groups like Venus say stuff about how it's a, you know, that's more of a secular concern. Like, your real job is ministry. And, like, yes, okay, there are internal, rims, you know, ramifications for stuff with ministry. But um, the it was just one of many areas in which things were over-spiritualized. Yeah. Um, and it was really just about controlling numbers yeah. and not really about a a passion for following God. So, um, so were you ever a recipient of those, uh, those I'm sure precious moments in which you were, uh, you know, publicly questioned for having made a choice that didn't suit uh, Zenos's agenda? Or, I mean, you mentioned that, that, that of course was, it was a great, Fear because it, it happened all the time, it seems, in which people would be, uh, uh, you know, publicly criticized for doing things that, that, that the Xenos leaders felt they shouldn't do. Um, did you ever have, have to face something like that when it came, to your, when it came to your career or, or any other choices you made? Um, not for career because I, in essence, made the correct choice for Xenos. Yeah. Um, 
at the beginning, almost all of my choices were in line with what Xenos wanted. By and large, I agreed with their theology. And so most, a lot of my decisions, a lot of my thoughts naturally did go along with what they were teaching. Um, and then in other ways, I convinced myself, you know, differently, like for career. And I pretended I was for other reasons, <laughs> choosing a different path. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I know that, I mean, the biggest time when, you know, me making decisions and how that affected things, that was when I was excommunicated, but it did happen on some smaller, on a smaller scale earlier. So for example, I did not get rebaptized and I did have leaders talk with me about how they thought I needed to you know, be baptized again. I, you know, come from a Lutheran tradition. I was baptized as an infant. And then when I was in high school, you know, I went in front of the church and said, this is my faith. I confirm my baptism, you know, Mm -hmm. anyway. And so in my mind, I think adult baptism makes more sense. Um, However, I did it in two steps instead of one. I did this symbolic thing as an infant, and then later, when I had made the decision, accepted Christ, I stood before the church, and I said, yep, I'm confirming the baptism. And so, in my mind, like, even if it was done in two steps, um, and maybe it doesn't quite match um, literally how, you know, some baptisms were described in, you know, scripture, um, it had all the spiritual significance of it. And so from my perspective, if I was baptized again, it would have meant nothing to me spiritually yeah. because that's what the confirmation meant to me when I like, you know, stood in front of my church and did that. Right. And so I would just be doing it to please other people. And I feel like it would have been a, you know, sham before God if I was baptized again. So I refuse to do it because that's, uh, anyway, uh, and then I had some leaders, you know, argue with me, um, on that a little bit, but then they kind of accepted that I was being hard headed and ended up leaving me alone, um, in, in that. So that wasn't this huge, you know, critical thing. Um, and I know at the time, one of the women I was discipling who I had considered, you know, my best friend, she, um, you know, grew up in a similar religious tradition. Like, she grew up Catholic. And so she had the exact same thing with the infant baptism and then later the confirmation. And it meant a lot to her. And she was, um, she was stressed out because she felt pressured you know, with being baptized again in that, you know, what she did before had the meaning spiritually for her. And then also she thought it would be an insult to like her family that, oh, she had to go get baptized again in this different, you know, church. And she already went through that mm-hmm. with her family anyway. And so I, you know, I encouraged her to make her own choice. 
in that if she didn't want to be baptized again, she didn't, you know, need to, because if, you know, spiritually she went through that baptism and, you know, kind of similar to how I felt about it, that she didn't have to. And I I just wanted to make sure that she felt the freedom to choose what she wanted. And she was really upset by the pressure. Like she almost seemed like she was about to start crying when we were talking about it. Um, and then I ended up being able to, <laughs> from my perspective, protect her from the leaders. Um, <laughs> and she yeah. wasn't baptized, rebaptized. Um, I did find out though, after I was kicked out of Xenos the next year, she was baptized again. And maybe mm-hmm. she genuinely made the decision and that's really what she wanted. But from my perspective, it seems like, okay, she no longer had a discipler who was, um, you know, trying to let her make her own decisions. Right. Um, right. And I find and it, it just saddens me. Yeah, it is it's quite saddening when, when you when people who have made their own conscious decisions about how they choose to express their faith just aren't respected, and that's expected in any authoritarian movement like 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 Xenos, in which in which it doesn't matter what you feel or how or how or how your what your conviction is, as long as we tell you that you need to have that, you need to go through that, you must. Undertake it's 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 as it's less I think the theology as it's an act of of submission of obedience to a community rule and and mm-hmm. and that's really uh, that's anathema I mean that's that, that's not what you know the Christian faith is all about I mean we, that's why we we speak when we speak of Christian liberty it means we have a freedom to choose we have a freedom to to exercise our own mind and and to and to and to and, to, and actually you know respect others when they make those choices which may not necessarily agree with ours that's what christian mm-hmm. liberty is all about i mean you made the decision uh your 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 confirmation uh, as a young woman as a young you know young girl i mean that is your affirmation to god that that was that's your conscience speaking and and in xenos that that just isn't enough though you can't respect that it has to be redone somehow and simply because that's what they want they I don't see how they could fault the, the theology so much as, as really to say, hey, listen, this is what we want you to do. Just so we can, and just so we can say that we have a baptism. Just so we have, we have 50 baptisms this month. I mean, that's what it ultimately comes down to, uh, in Xenos. Xenos is about numbers and about, and, and all about the external, uh, of, 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 of faith. They want to be able to show you that we had, we had, we had X amount of baptisms and professions this month, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a horrible, that's a horrible, horrible pressure that no Christian church should ever mandate. But, and, and, but in Xenos, it had no problem. It has no problem doing that. So that was one of the, okay, don't you, you've been mentioning the, these red flags. What was the, what was the one red flag though that really, really, uh, kind of really convicted you right before you, you and your boyfriend, you know, ended up getting extricated? Was there anything else that really bothered you that really showed you that maybe you needed to reconsider where you are? Um, I, let's see, I'm trying to think prior to the, you know, us getting kicked out, because I, you know, I never actually made the decision to leave Xenos. I was, you know, 
I was forced to. Right. Um, well, you're committed. But, I mean, you really gave yourself into it. You know, I mean, you were at this point working yourself to exhaustion where you're falling on the floor. That, that, that shows an incredible focus you had for them. So yeah, I, I can see why you didn't just walk out. You, you, I mean, you were really, really doing what you felt you needed to do to please God. Yeah. Um, and I will, I guess, yeah, I, I, I did. And so, and I, you know, and it's one of those things where it, it, it breaks my heart as I try to think about this. Of mm-hmm. What if I had ever been on the other side of a discipline meeting? And if I saw them do to someone what happened to me, what, how would I have responded? Would I have gone with the party line of the church of, yep, this is what's right? Or would I have recognized how horrible and unloving it was and would I have chosen to leave? And I don't know what the answer is. You know, of course, you always want to think you would be strong and do the, you know, right thing or the healthy thing. But also I think of, you know, social psychology and you think of the, um, oh goodness, I can't remember the names of the experiments, but you know, that prison experiment with the college students, you think of the one with, um, right. You right back in the sixties. Right. Remember that one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you want to think, oh, I wouldn't, of course, um, you know, administer lethal levels of pain to someone just because the researcher told me to press the button. But, you know, most people did. And I don't know. So honestly, I'm, I'm lucky I was kicked out, even though it was really horrible. <laughs> but, um, it's, let's, um, uh, but yeah, in terms of other red flags before that, um, I guess some of them were, uh, you know, just some things I mentioned earlier of, you know, realizing Venus culture was considered higher than scripture. And, you know, sometimes I got a little bit of flack for not hanging out outside with people. Um, but since so many people are chain smokers and Xenos, and also I have asthma, I, you know, try to be healthy and I care about my health and I don't want to get secondhand smoke. It's their decision to smoke and my lungs shouldn't have to suffer for it. And so sometimes I would literally sit inside by myself because on the porch, it was just this huge smoke cloud. Yeah. And so, so I would do that. And, yeah. um, you know, I sometimes had people, come up to me I didn't get a whole lot of pushback on that because you know when you say I have asthma who's going to argue with you um granted if I didn't have asthma who knows if I would have <laughs> been treated so leniently yeah. <laughs> um it so I mean there there was that also um some some other things um that they, another red flag that I, I did actually notice was how Xenos just put down other churches a lot. Um, so they would make disparaging comments about, you know, other Christian denominations, particularly Catholicism. And I would have felt so uncomfortable 
inviting anyone Catholic to a meeting because he knows what offensive thing would be said against mm-hmm. Catholics. Mm-hmm. And sure, you can have differing theology, but, um, it, <laughs> you know, it, you don't have to, you know, put down all these other groups. Like, the, you're all supposed to be in the larger body of Christ, at least theoretically. Um, and they would puff up their church a lot. Um, I remember at one point um, that the wife of one of the elders, she was sharing about how before she was Christian, she had an abortion. and. She said, like, do you realize how rare it is that you have a church where the wife of an elder openly admits to having had an abortion in the past? And they would say things and to paint Zenos as, oh, Zenos is more forgiving. Zenos is more honest than other churches. Like, wow, there, there would be many times where leaders, when they're giving teachings, they would say different things to kind of puff up Zenos and show that it was you know, superior to other churches. Mm. Another area was in the conversation about debt. Um, And they would say that their church really stood apart because they have open and transparent finances. They had a small debt as though that was some novel thing no other church ever did. I think a lot of churches have open finances. Maybe not. I don't know. I haven't researched it. Mm -hmm. But um, it wasn't just them saying, hey, we think it's important to have an open book policy. Here's the open book. Um, Versus trying to argue that their church was better than other churches because they did it. Um, And so there was just a constant, you know, put down of people in other churches. Um, It also made it really hard it was difficult to maintain friendships with people in other churches. Um, like one with a huge time commitment. And then also anytime you did have an event, you could invite people to such as like a Xenos. Well, maybe not a Xenos party, but there were a lot of outreach events we had and you couldn't invite your other Christian friends to it because it's an outreach event. So yeah, of course you wouldn't invite them. And I remember talking with one of my uh, roommates about how it was hard because I was trying to maintain, you know, some of my close friendships um, with people who were in other churches and that I, you know, so much social time was spent here and I can't invite them to the Xenos outreach stuff. And I remember my roommate, you know, she was like empathetic um, and said, like, oh, that would be difficult, um, you know, for her, most of her friends, like all of her Christian friends were in Xenos. And so she regularly got to see them in the Xenos, you know, event. Um, and then also um, another red flag for me, one time the senior leader in my um, college home church, she was talking about, oh, it, at a prayer group every week, you have to give your ministry updates. Um, and so she's, you know, trying to, you know, build up a friendship with someone at work. 
And then, oh, she went and she got lunch one-on-one with this person. And, you know, this was something she'd been sharing at, at the updates because this was potential ministry. Uh, then she finds out that her coworker was a Christian already in a different church. And she shared that as a disappointment. And then everyone in the room just sighs of like, oh, man, of like, oh, well, she can't be, you know, that's not going to be the next um, <laughs> number. She's already in another church. And then the that friendship cool was person. just dumped. Yeah. The, the next cool person is going to be love bombed. Who's going to be, who's going to be showered on and, and welcomed as outreach. She's not going to be that one. And that, and that was such a horrible thing. Yeah. So it was, and so, you know, in my thought, when everyone sighed, I'm thinking, why aren't people happy if the whole thing is about we want to be on mission because we want more people to know Christ? Like when she found out her coworker already had a relationship with Christ, why wasn't she rejoicing? I was like, oh my goodness, she already knows, you know, knows the Lord or whatever. Um, but instead it was disappointment that she couldn't bolster her ministry and the there was just so much competition for ministry of like, how many people are you bringing out? How many people are you discipling? You better have something to share every week at prayer group. Um, not that there was an official rule, but if you didn't have anything to share, you'd be looked down upon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or if you didn't pray out loud, um, you would be looked down upon or, um, my discipler was, I think, sometimes a little more strict than maybe the average discipler because I know at one point, um, so I would, you know, share stuff. I would answer, you know, questions after, like, home church or, you know, participate in the cell groups. But I felt kind of uncomfortable in the large prayer group with praying out loud because, you know, it's an hour-long meeting of praying out loud and it was like popcorn prayer style mm-hmm. and every once in a while you know my mind wandered because I don't know I'm a human um <laughs> and um and um uh so anyway I um sorry let me give a sorry pause So every once in a while, my mind would wander, just, you know, being human, and I would then get really nervous. Oh, my goodness, I want to pray for this thing, but what if someone already prayed for it when my mind was wandering, and then it will be apparent that I didn't pay attention and repeated someone's prayer. Um, You know, I was really concerned what people thought about me, and the group was, I think, a very judgmental group. Um and I was, you know, imperfect, caring what everyone thought, but so those. Anyway, so I was really nervous about that. Or then, you know, how sometimes, like, you know, two people start praying at the same time, and I just found that kind of awkward. Anyway, so I wasn't um, regularly praying out loud in that, and then um, my discipler talked with me about it, and she said, yeah, I think we're going to need, I'm going to talk with, like, the senior leader because I think we need to start having a rule that, like, if you're going to come to prayer group and you're not going to pray out loud, like, why are you even there? Um, that we're going to start, you know, but, uh, in essence, kicking people out of the prayer group <laughs> if they um, 
you know, wow. aren't quote unquote participating. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, I was anxious about the whole like big whatever prayer thing, um, praying out loud. I was fine in smaller groups doing it, but I was certainly praying like in my heart, in my head, along with everyone. And so how is that me not participating? The fact that I didn't speak out a prayer out loud in this big group setting, um, it's, it just was. So, I mean, after that, I didn't want to get kicked out of prayer group. So I made sure that I prayed each time at least once, um, you know, during the, you know, during the meeting. And it's, it just amazes me how much, <laughs> how much control, how much human, uh, meddling there is in what should be such a joyous time of people coming together to, to encourage one another, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in sharing, whether it's in, 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 in discussion of what, of how their, how their ministry is going on, what, what should be a time of encouragement and a time of, 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 you know, interactive individuality becomes something so mandated, so controlled, so completely orchestrated by, by, by a leader's whims. I mean, okay. that just amazes me as, as, I mean, I'm a pastor. Okay. I've, I, I've, I've been involved with a lot of prayer groups. I've been involved with a lot of ministry over the years in, in, in contemporary Christian church settings all over the place. And Xenos just, just absolutely horrifies me. It, it, it disgusts me to hear that they're leading people in this way, that they're, that they're making the, 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 the nuts and bolts of, 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 of the Christian walk and discipleship and, and, and lifestyle together into such a, a heavy burden to be born. It's horrible. I mean, and yet that's what you were doing. You were, you were happily going along with this because you felt this was where God wanted you to be. And and this is the way it it should be. And and I'm sorry. I I, I can see why people are so stressed. I can see that. It's, it's absolutely mind boggling. Unbelievable. So you would still be there if, if, if you, and I guess you, you met a young man there and, um, and passions flowed, you know, and did what they did, and 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 then somehow the the uh, Zenos got a hold of it, and that's and that's where, like you you mentioned at the outset of our discussion, that's what's where you you, you found that uh, that the, the patience and love and grace didn't go very far, did it? It did not. Yeah, there were, like I said before, there was a lot of compartmentalization of like or these things are acceptable. Um, these sins are not, and um, yeah. yeah, being involved with yeah with your boyfriend was not acceptable. Um, and mm. also with Xenos, it worked way better if you waited to confess your sin until you were like really ready and able to turn things around. Then you probably would be accepted. But like, if you confessed while you were in the middle of struggling in a sin area, there was less likely to be grace because it, you know, it, it's, it's hard to 
change in general, you know, as, as people, it, it's difficult. And like, even if, as in my case, you know, the person thinks, yes, this behavior is sinful and this is something I want to stop. It's not so cut and dry of, I, you know, think and believe this. And now all of a sudden I'm going to be perfect and I'm not going to slip up in this area again. Um, you know, I would have thought that, you know, I was open the whole time. Um, I mean, man, you had to be so open in Xenos, like, oh my goodness. But anyway, um, and you know, the fact that I, you know, it's, it's not that people found out and I was trying to hide it. Like I was the one who said, Hey, this happened. Like, I know this was sinful and like, I, you, you know, I needed help in terms of like trying to, um, you know, turn, turn things around. And I mean, after the first time it happened and then, you know, I had that meeting with, um, with, um, you know, my discipler and the senior home church leader. Oh, at this point I was in the adult group. I transitioned from college to adult. Um, and, uh, you know, basically it was like, if this ever happens again, we're going to have to hold a big discipline meeting and we don't want to do that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I basically said, like, I, you know, I thanked them for meeting with me and that I, you know, could tell they really cared about me and loved me and wanted to, you know, help me so that I wouldn't continue in a, um, in an unhealthy, you know, sinful, you know, path and that I really did want to repent, whatever. Um, and then a month and a half later, which I think is a pretty long time, but then it happened again. It's not good. Like, my boyfriend and I had broken up at that point. Um, and I feel like a month and a half in between it occurring is showing two people trying to change, but who uh, messed up again. Um, but, you know, at that point, then we had the discipline meeting um, was, you know, scheduled. Um, after it happened the, the second time and there was just a lot of, there was a lot of pressure. Um, there wasn't a lot of understanding, like any, um, mental health was very much (laughs) over spiritualized. Um, like I was, you know, at the time I was in a, um, deep depression. And I was having multiple panic attacks a day. Um, and yeah. it's, I mean, I, I had things, you know, not quite related to Xenos, like that, you know, that happened to me the previous year, um, like where I had, um, a man tried to sex traffic me. Thankfully, that didn't end up happening and I was able to escape before. Yeah. Anyway, but that was really frightening. And then oh, yeah. one of my friends, um, well, my former friend sexually assaulted me like a month after the, um, oh, no. you know, sex trafficking thing almost happened. And when I came to people in the group about it, I came with, Hey, I like send whatever in this. And cause I wasn't willing to. Um, I wasn't willing to believe my friend would have 
assaulted me, even though, you know, that is what happened. Um, but, but wait a minute, you, you were, you were, you were sexually assaulted by a friend? Yes. And, and, but you felt like you sinned. Yes, I did. Um, I mean, what led you to believe that? Who was, was that something Xenos taught you or was that just your own personal conviction? I mean, I'm just, I'm just baffled. I mean, you're a victim of of a, of a, of a crime. How does that make you guilty? So, um, I think there are a couple things playing into it. I think Xenos was maybe the lesser thing there, but you know, there was so much focus on sexual sin that, um, you know, I was like, ah, I got into sexual sin issue, you know, like that was, you know, my bad, but also, um, I mean, and this is something I've, I've um, discussed <laughs> a lot more. I've done a lot of counseling. Right, anyway. I'm sure you have. Um, right. but, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have. I, I, I don't. I don't no. seriously make it. I, I don't want to pry. But this, this, this is a sort of dynamic that plays directly into Zenas's hand. It's as if you being you, you being involved in 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 anything involving. You know, sexuality that's, that's illicit or, 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 or unapproved or something. It's as if women are the one that become, that, that should be the one to bear the blame for that. Not, 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 not the vic, not the victimizers. Yeah. Not, not the creeps that touched you, not the people. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not as if you sat around in a bar, you know, you know, with a, with a slit, you know, skirt somewhere. Hey, hey, sailor, come on, you know. <laughs> It was somebody came after you and hunted you down and and and, and assaulted you. That's 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 a that's an act of criminal evil, and yet it, you came out of that feeling like you were the one responsible. Yeah, and part of that's also with culture. Women are told it's because of the way they dress okay. or where they were. It's mm-hmm. their fault, right? But an, another right. thing, at least. For me, like the big kind of psychological part, and this just has to deal with like how our brains sometimes respond, sometimes respond under trauma. Mm-hmm. Is right. that um, I remember at the beginning, and I just remember when the person started assaulting me, seeing he was like smiling, and I remember thinking, how can he be smiling? Can't he see this look of terror on my face? Yeah. As I just kind of froze, and then um, partway through. I then convinced myself, no, this is what I want. I love this person. I didn't love him. Like, I, I really, really didn't. But it was easier for me to accept that I got into sexual sin with this um, friend that, you know, I was genuinely attracted to but had said no to dating him. Um, but it was easier for me to accept I got into sexual sin than this friend who I thought was really my friend that he would yeah. have assaulted me and mm-hmm. that yeah. yeah um so that's that's what I convinced myself um to kind of okay. protect myself because right. that you know at least in the in the moment it hurt less to think of it that way right. and then when I shared the stuff with with the women in my home church, you know, maybe if it was with a different group of women and they heard me share it, they would have said, Megan, this isn't your fault. But given the intense focus Xenos has on the whole sexual sin thing, 
um, I don't think, you, you know, that lens didn't quite come out. And so what my mind already jumped to as a, a victim, you know, just kind of trying to, you know, survive through something that's traumatic, um, then the group kind of latched on. And at that point, um, after I confessed that, um, my two disciples were taken away from me. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, my favorite thing was discipling them. They were like two of my closest friends. Yeah. Um, also I was going to start teaching in the cell group. Um, like I was being raised up to be a leader. I'd gone through all my leadership training classes. I was taken off the leadership, like, um, next up, <laughs> you know, list. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. when it kind of flipped from me being one of the, um, you know, promising good people to me being on the, um, bad list. <laughs> and I just spiraled further down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. And then later, like a few months later, I started dating, you know, one of my best friends, um, who's now my husband. And, you know, with that, it was, I mean, I was, I was so, so messed up. Um, but I was trying to replace what happened, like something I wasn't in control of, um, with something I was in control of physically, um, and with someone who actually cared about me. And, but I was in complete denial about the scenario. And so I, I was a huge wreck. I was very, very depressed, um, and I was not able to quickly turn things around in terms of, oh, I'm in, got into sexual sin. I need to not continue in that. I didn't understand what was going on, and I, you know, had this, um, you know, in essence, this desire, like, I need to replace this like bad sexual experience that I just had forced on me with a better one because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't know. And, but that was all subconscious. Um, I understand. And, right. you know, uh, but because I wasn't able to just flip things around right away. And I know with my discipler, she told me that she was struggling um, working through things with me because I said all of the right things for someone who wanted to follow God and wanted to repent, but that she didn't see the change in my life. And so the only conclusion she could reach was that I was lying to her. Um, and that was, and again, it's, you know, with mental health, if someone's clinically depressed, the person moving forward, it's going to be, the pace of a snail <laughs> you're not going to be like you know winning races and um right. there wasn't there was no grace there was no understanding there was no tenderness it was all of a sudden hey you and your boyfriend are too involved physically it needs to stop if it doesn't you're getting kicked out and it was the high pressure stakes to try and like get the change to happen. And that, you know, that just, it only makes things worse. Yeah. I mean, I was, 
already having multiple panic attacks a day. Now I'm getting threatened with being kicked out. Um, were, you, and, were you struggling mentally before you joined Regina's? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, on and off. So I've had some periods of deep depression. Um, it's, 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 um, cl- it's clinical depression, right? Yeah, yeah, clinical. Okay, um, all right. And so, uh, and then, yeah, that was, you know, there again while in, yeah, while, yeah. while in Xenos. Um, but it wasn't really taken seriously. Um, I, you know, was becoming increasingly suicidal toward the end. Um, and I know with the, you know, with the discipline meeting coming up, I started, you know, thinking like, all right, I, you know, need to kill myself. Like I need to just overdose on pills. And, um, I remember thinking, okay, well now I have to research to figure out what to take and how much of it, you know? And, you know, I catch myself thinking that and thought, okay, I need to have a friend come over now so that I don't actually research this because I need to stop myself from actually knowing what to do. Um, and so I started calling friends. Um, the first several people I called, um, you know, didn't answer. So I ended up calling my discipler who thankfully did come over. Um, it was either the day before the day of discipline. I don't quite remember at this point. Um, but when I told her what I was planning and she's like, Oh, what were you going to take? And I said, I don't know. I hadn't looked it up yet, but I know I have a lot of ibuprofen and in response, she laughed and said, Oh yeah. If you take a bunch of ibuprofen, you just end up with a stomach ache. Like it's not going to actually do anything. And it was wow. just really hurtful because, um, you know, who this, like, is, this is your disciple. Yes. It's my disciple. And she's um, talking to you about how to kill yourself and what's the most effective way. Well, she laughed in that my idea of using ibuprofen would be ineffective. So she wasn't telling me how to do it. No, but, but, but she was actually entertaining and ex- discussing with you ways in which you could you could take prescription drugs and kill yourself. Um, only the extent that she said ibuprofen wouldn't work. Um, granted... You know, it wow. it could work if you took enough of it. Oh, but Lord. just the lack of compassion of, you know, I'm someone who's suicidal, who's thinking about overdosing, laughing at me because I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> I don't know. Or, I mean, I think really, I don't think she was trying to laugh at me. I think she didn't, she was not emotionally equipped to really have any place of leadership, <laughs> especially to um, have a close relationship with someone with mental health issues. Um, it, it was just beyond what she could um, emotionally handle. And so... Um, you know, at, at bare minimum, anyone, yeah. anyone with any smarts or any tap for any kind of leadership anywhere... Uh, over, over people of such a vulnerable age group, such as young men and women, should be aware that whenever there's suicidal ideation going on in, in, in a conversation, 
especially with someone who is clearly struggling emotionally and psychologically. That, that it's, it's not it's not a laughing matter. It's something to take very seriously. It's something to immediately get help upon if you can't handle it. But instead, she you said she just basically tried to laugh it off and, and make a light thing. And, and, and I can't even imagine what what that did to you. I mean, I mean, that, that has to be those most. I mean, it's, it's like the ultimate trivialization of your life. It, it, it's as if what you could do, all that you are, all that you were making, all that you are, just. Oh, come on now. It, it's, if you just really, really want to deal with yourself, come on. This is the right way to do it. You don't, you don't do it this way. You do it, you do it some other way. And like I said, maybe, like you said, she's trying to laugh it off. Maybe she's trying to, to deal with it. But at this point, I, I'm just, I'm just absolutely amazed at, at that, that, that this is the sort of thing that I know is not uncommon. We've had people on our, on our podcast discussing the exact same things where suicide and, and, and self-harming behaviors were entertained by people. It's as if the leadership of Xenos just didn't give a rat's rear end, if you pardon my French. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I mean, I'm just, uh Yeah, there's kind of a switch when you are no longer a promising member and you're a problem member, which that's what I became ever since I was assaulted, um, that, yeah, they honestly, it just kind of seems like it would, you know, a way to have a very gung-ho, passionate church and everyone's doing a lot of things. You have to get rid of the problematic people um, and the ones who, you know, can't go in that mode, you know, mode for whatever reason, whether it's mental health or yeah, it, it, it's absolutely it's absolutely unconscionable for me as a, as a, as a minister or just as a human being to sit here and listen to someone preparing a testimony like you are, and and for, it's unconscionable for me to attribute uh, the work of the Spirit of God to a place like Zenos when, when it treats people this way. I mean, it's just yeah. it, it is not there. I, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what 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 they may say, uh, th- th- this is not a place where, where love abounds, as the old song goes. It, it's not there. And, and if it's not there, then it's gotta be someplace else. And, uh, I'm just, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just horrified. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to shake. I'm getting so angry. So, well, after those horrible moments in which you obviously felt I mean, you've been, you were, you were violated. You were, you were almost made into a sex trafficking slave. You were almost drawn away. Um, you tried to deal with the pressure uh, of, of all that and your own personal struggle by, 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 uh, trying to somehow mask out or, or deal with it in your own way. And, and, you know, and, and of course, I mean, admittedly so, you know, um, you know, falling into 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 um, into sexual temptation <laughs> with a boyfriend was, was probably not a great idea to do at all. But but it's not that it's not that, it's not that I'm saying you shouldn't love someone, but you, but probably there's, there's there's time and seasons for everything, you know. And mm-hmm. so and so anyway, you're struggling with all this, and then they just decide to go ahead and and, and give you the right for the fellowship. And he, and, and he was in Xenos too, and you both got yeah. booted. We did, yeah. We were in different uh, home churches, 
and um, he was kicked out a week before me just based on when they scheduled the discipline meetings. Um, uh, yeah. Then wow. uh, I know in, in my discipline meeting, um, one of, I remember one of the things the woman, well, here are options such as why are you even here? Like, you keep showing up to things. Like, why are you here if you're like, not really interested in following God? And I kept responding that I wanted to be there, and I wanted to follow God, and I recognized I got into sexual sin. I agreed it was sexual sin, that it was, you know, contrary to Scripture, and I wanted to repent, but that I was really struggling and needed help. Um, one of the women then said, that um, I needed to hit rock bottom before my heart would change. I was saying I wanted to repent, but I wasn't repenting. Uh, and I responded, I think I'm at rock bottom now. I'm really struggling and I need help and I'm asking for help. Um, I know at the end after they voted, um, and, you know, voted to kick me out. And I talked with the female leaders when they, you know, told me the result of the decision. And I said, I asked them, how can this help my walk with God? You know, I want to follow God. I want to, you know, come back. When can I, you know, come back to this group? Like, how can I grow spiritually from this? I, w- I want to, you know, take advantage of it. Um, and they asked me what I thought from the meeting. And so I just listed a few things that were said, you know, one thing of, you don't value fellowship until it's taken away. Another, I have to reach rock bottom before my heart will change. And when I said that, you know, my discipler, she was one of the home church leaders. She was smiling and nodding along with it. And that was harder than when she laughed. Because I think she laughed out of it being uncomfortable the other day, like when I said I was considering suicide, um, you know, but then that she was, she knew I was suicidal and she was affirming someone saying I had to reach rock bottom before my heart would change. And, you know, that's literally telling someone to die <laughs> if they're suicidal. Right. Um, like is. rock bottom is, just like following through with the plan. Um, there isn't really anything in between. And, um, it, it, it's, we were so close. I mean, we, you know, for years we met one-on-one every week. Um, it wasn't the easiest friendship, but we were, we had a very, very intimate, like relationship and um I it's hard for me to understand how she could be so callous. Yeah. And the whole group could be so callous to me. Someone who's literally crying, asking for help, struggling, um, and saying she wants to follow, you know, God. And sure, I could be lying, but I don't know. It seems like it'd be better to give someone the benefit of the doubt and help someone 
who is saying like, yes, I agree. I send like, and I, you know, want help and want to move forward. Um, I, it would much rather be the boot than the hand lifting up. That's what it sounds like to me here. And, and I want to say in trying to be kind is that they felt that that's what they had to do because that's what Xenos culture demanded them to do. As opposed to being gracious and loving and forgiving and being willing to lift you up, Megan, they instead trod you into the mud because that's what they felt they had to do because you need to hit rock bottom. You know, here they are sitting in judgment over you in some star chamber voting on whether or not you should be allowed to be to receive Christian grace through them, as opposed to you know just being treated like 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 an absolute dirt that you know, that they felt that you were. Uh, you know, again, I'm aghast, but I'm not surprised because this happens over and over in groups that claim to be um, representatives of the body of Christ, representatives of, of the of the Christian faith, but what are actually nothing but collections of religious people following rules mandated by a by a bunch of power hungry people. This is not this is not the Christian faith. This was not Christian, but you had convinced yourself, and and they had persuaded you that this was the highest level of Christian faith you, you could have say to. And you'd hope to yeah. get mercy. You you hoped to get mercy out of that kind of situation. And, and I am, I am so sorry that it, it didn't come out that way. And uh, uh, I, I'm just, you know, I hear these testimonies, and I know that they they they're they're frequent. They're all they're going all the time. And there's many people out there listening to this podcast who can say that that happened to them too. And, uh, I, I'm just so sorry that, uh, you were left that way. So, so how did you, how did you come out of that? I mean, you guys got this fellowship, you got kicked out. What were your next steps? I mean, what, what did you do to try to move beyond that? I mean, you, you were, like I said, you were thrust out of Xenos. What was life like mm-hmm. after that for you? So afterward, at, at that point, um, I, you know, cut contact with my, at the time, ex-boyfriend. Um, that was actually the third time we did get into sin. Um, and I think just all the pressure of everything going on made it um, easy to fall into that again, even though sure. I did think it was wrong, but it was, anyway. But afterwards, so I wasn't in contact with, you know, with um my ex-boyfriend anymore and then um the leaders told people to not reach out to me um in xenos so then all of my you know xenos like friends and community um were gone i had to move out of the ministry house i was living in i mean it was really since i was in the adult group it was just me and one other person in an apartment together and the senior home church leader owned the apartment. Um, but uh, anyway, so I, I moved out. I moved back in with my mom. Um, I was trying to finish up studies because I decided to go back to school to get, um, uh, you know, master of education for teaching high school um, at that time. And uh, 
you know, as I was, you know, doing, doing that and I was just not doing well, I was having more and more panic attacks. Um, whereas before, I don't know, I was having at least one a day, but it, I don't know, probably tripled how many I was having a day. Um, and, uh, um, eventually, um, you know, when I was talking with one of my, one of my friends who actually was still in the home church, but we were friends years before Xenos and I was the one who invited her out. So she was the only relationship I still kept from, you know, Xenos. Um, and she is a, a mental health professional herself. Um, and when I was just talking about how I was at one point, she told me that, um, she really thought I needed to get, go into a partial hospitalization program, um, mm-hmm. with how suicidal I was. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did. Um, and it was so helpful. Basically, a partial yeah. hospitalization program, it's an um, outpatient program. So you're not living in a mental hospital, but it's kind of like um, full-time group therapy, like a, like a full-time job. Like every day you go there um, for group therapy. And um, I, you know, went through... So I went through that, and while in the partial hospitalization program, that's when I decided that I shouldn't go back to Xenos. Um, the my group therapist, she had some experience with Xenos. They tried to get her, well, before boyfriend, now husband, to break up with her when he started attending. So he left. She told me that she had been um, working at, you know, Ohio Hospital for Psychiatry, where I was, um, for like three months doing these partial hospitalization programs. And I was number five or six to come through her group from Xenos. Mm. Um, mm. And that, you know, other people, it was either something with sexual immorality or depression because they stopped attending meetings because they were depressed. So then they got kicked out. Um, and uh, as I was, you know, and then I started realizing like, okay, they're, you know, and putting together the signs of control. That's when I finally actually came to terms with like the fact that my friend sexually assaulted me. And then I was able to start kind of putting things together, start like healing and working, you know, through stuff. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, so that was helpful. And I decided that I wanted to get back in contact with my ex-boyfriend that, um, um, it had been a few months since we had, or yeah, I think like three months since we had had contact, um, and just, then we did. We started hanging out again. We eventually started dating again. Um, we were actually able to be like more successful with like having a pure dating relationship and not that we were perfect. It was like we messed up some a little in the beginning, but not having all the, the pressure made it a lot easier to 
not go beyond like kissing, you know, with, with, um, and you know, we were, you know, and so we dated until we, you know, got married. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been, it's been hard. We've, we tried, um, joining some other churches, um, Mm -hmm. in the meantime, I recently started trying to attend another church again. It's been really difficult for me because I know in Xenos people were so, so dedicated to their faith and so fervently praying, reading the Bible, all that. And it's, it's hard for me to comprehend how people praying to a real God would have done what they did to me. Mm-hmm. If like, if God was real and God was loving and they were really praying to him, like how could what happened be the result of it? Mm-hmm. And right. so I'm, I'm struggling still with my faith um, in and out of like, does God actually exist? Mm-hmm. Um, it used to always be the, you know, this strongest, like, foundation in my life, my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it's not anymore. Um, okay. I don't know how to, I'm really struggling to come to terms with what happened. And it felt like they disqualified me from a relationship with God. Like mm. intellectually, I understand, okay, people can't do that, but um emotionally, psychologically, I can't I I'm I can't get past it. Um yeah. I've been starting to find, you know, more fulfilling things in my life. Um and um my mindset's slowly changing, but I know so much of it is I just think about Xenos and I think like Xenos like ruined my life. They ruined my career. They ruined like confidence in who I was in Christ, my relationship with, with God, like my just my faith, my trust in people, like I for a while, like I had trouble driving because I would just have so many panic attacks mm-hmm. that, like, if I wasn't listening to an Har- a Harry Potter audiobook <laughs> in the car, I would have a panic attack. Because yeah. I needed a story I was very familiar with so that, like, I knew exactly what was happening. I needed that extra thing. Without it, I would have an attack like I couldn't listen to a new book I couldn't listen to music like it had to be and you know now I can drive without an audiobook you know um but sure. it you know took me a while before you know I could even you know do that or you know having to avoid different parts of the city I live in because it reminded me too much of Xenos um right understandably so yeah um, so, um, I'm still, and you know, it's been a, 
it's been several years because I was, you know, excommunicated in November 2016. Um, it is now um, November 2022. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it has, you know, it's been six years. Um, that's longer than I was actually in Enoch. You know, like you hear, oh, getting over a relationship. It's like, as long as the relationship was, that's typically how long it takes to get over it. But it's, I'm not remotely over Zenith. Right. <laughs> um, sure. I've done, um, I've done EMDR therapy, um, to try to work through some of the difficult memories I have, Zenos, um, of like some of the most hurtful conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, has, and, that, uh, has that helped you? It has. Um, it's uh, EMDR. Kind of, it takes a memory um, mm-hmm. that, due to trauma, it it feels like it just happened recently, and it helps put it more in the past. Right. Um, so now, sometimes I have trouble. I have trouble remembering even what that memory was that we worked through. Um, it was just a, one of the conversations my discipler had, you know, with me. Um, I think it was the one when she told me that um, she could only come to the conclusion I was I was lying about wanting to follow God because my actions weren't, you know, um, I, I didn't have fruit in my life showing the change. Um, and that was very painful to me, and I, I, I'm someone who wears emotions on my sleeve. Um, I don't think, like, I don't really have the skill <laughs> to lie about serious emotional things. Um, no, you shouldn't lie. You should always I, I be honest. No, you need to be honest I, to yourself. <laughs> that's the saddest thing about about life. Not just this is this. What you're struggling with is is, and I'm not trying to be a therapist, but I've been around and talked to enough people to know that our culture is a culture that denies pain. It is it, it, it illegitimately robs you of your ability to, to be comfortable in your own skin and to be able to be conscious enough to or, or confident enough to be able to express how you feel and what you do with. It would rather you fit in a little box and you be somebody that you're not. And in the meantime, yeah. within, and in the meantime, who you are deep within is locked away, feeling feelings and being, and, and feeling totally bound and unable to speak, unable to voice. And, 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 and you're right. You should not have to feel that way. It's hard to do. But I, I think one of the most important things that perhaps you can consider is the fact that, you know, you, you know, you're free to do that as, as someone who's coming out of a horrible things you've been through. Uh, that the, the approach to freedom comes when you understand that you matter. What you've been through, who you are, what you feel matters and needs to be respected, needs to be understood, needs to be valued. And, and I think that's, that's what the whole point is about learning how to deal with this sort of thing. It, it, getting getting that one principle in, in your heart down that, that look, you matter. 
Okay, you you are worth someone. You you are a person of significance. You are a unique, wonderful person in who you are. And what the culture and the cult have done to you is is robbed you of that trust in yourself. And it's just, it's kept you on edge all these years, not able to trust, not able to relax. You have to have something keeping that mind occupied uh, because you've been taught to be busy, right? You, you have to be constantly, you know, constantly on the go doing something to prove that you're worth, that you're, that you're a person, that you are a person of worth. And you, and that's completely wrong. You never have to do anything to prove your worth to anyone. Never. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And really, that's what it comes down to. And, and, and again, I, 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 I've talked to people like you uh, for years, you know. And and we're moving beyond just being thinking about a podcast here. We're thinking about. Yeah, you know, I'm speaking to, you know, this issue where you feel like. You've been wrecked. Your damaged goods. You're absolutely lost. There's nothing God can do with you. When Megan, that's just so, so not the case here. You know, something I have, I have, I've encouraged people with over and over and over throughout the years as a, as a, as a pastoral counselor is this one thought that I'd like to leave with you. I mean, and, and we can continue our conversation off, off, off this podcast as well, but, there's one thought that I've always shared with people who, who, who have been devastated by their experience in places like Zenos and with people that had a relationship with God, that had a place, uh, a very special, very unique, very, very honored, cherished place in their relationship in understanding God that got, that it, it was totally ripped up. It was violated. It was destroyed. It was ravaged. By the lie and by by the by the by, by the by the, uh, the the religious abuse and the pressure that, that the cult put on you, and it's just once and it's that very thing is that you matter to God, and that no matter no matter what you've been through, no matter what you do, no matter what level of sin you may think you're being, you always will matter to Him. He will always be open to those who want to approach Him. And, and, and the, the thought I want to leave is, are the words of Jesus himself. And I'm sure you re- may have heard these before, but I, I want to share them with you again. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. There's no room for Zenos. There's no room for the culture. There's no room for, for, your, for your own guilt. Jesus is simply saying, Come to me, all you who are all you who are struggling. You're laid, you're, you're, you're you're crushed down with pressures. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. And he goes on to say this in verse 29: Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, here's here's the here's the question, and I mean I mean here, I mean here's here's the, the proposition. When you're in a place like the world, our culture would impose upon you all kinds of expectations, all kinds of roles that you were never meant to play. Cults excel at that. Xenos excels at that and, and, and making people into, into making them into 
objects and, and, and slaves and robots after their making. And, 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 and in so doing, they impose a yoke of their own on them. I mean, you, you were, you were, you, you worked yourself to death because you were being crushed down with a yoke, a horrible yoke that they imposed upon you that you, you were never meant to bear. And that's, and that's what Jesus' words are speaking to. He says, I want you to take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. My burden's light. And that yoke simply is just trusting in him, coming to him, believing that what he says about himself, believing that what, that what he has done for you on the cross to forgive your sins, uh, doesn't just, isn't, it isn't just holy fire insurance. <laughs> it's not just getting you out of hell and getting a go to jail free card. Or, I mean, go, I mean, get out of jail free card. It's, it's learning how to walk with him and, and take what he wants you to take on. And that's, and that's an understanding of him. And that's what he's saying. He says, learn from me, take it, and then you're going to find rest for your souls. It's a finding. It's a journey. But he, but he's willing to walk you with it as, as long as you're able to, to bear it. And, and, and that's the good news of the gospel. It doesn't wait for you to make yourself so righteous and so holy. What they did to you uh, in, in these discipline meetings and what they do to all Xenos members, any co-group, and when they punish people, is they don't present to them this, this image, this kind of grace. You're right. They, they impose something else entirely. It's got nothing to do with the kind of grace Jesus is talking here about. So I would, I would want to leave you with, with you know, consider that. You know, yes, you've, you've, you've been shaken. And yes, you've been, you've been terribly, terribly hurt. But, but, you know, there, there is a God in Christ by the Spirit who is reaching out to you and others and saying, listen, take my yoke on you. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. And I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, I know when I was a young man and I was a, a young heathen myself and I lived on the streets of Chicago, and I was I was a completely crazy person. I was a street person losing my mind. I know when I when I heard that call, and, and, and when I lived at the Pacific Garden Mission in downtown Chicago. When I, when I heard that call, I came, and I, my life's never been the same. The only reason why I can be here doing what I'm doing now is that I heard that call because I needed that savior. I needed that kind of visit in my life, and and that, that's why he's so wonderful. You know, I, I, it grieves me to hear so many people say what they say about Christ and the faith because they've learned otherwise thanks to, thanks to hellholes like Xenos. Uh, they, they, they've been taught, you've been taught a hundred other different things other than what the Bible and Christ would have you to believe. And that's just simply to trust in Him. Come to Him. He'll never disappoint you. And He's never, He's, I've, I've known Him since 1980, Megan. He's never disappointed me. I, I, I've been a failure to him. Oh God, I don't know how many times, but he's always the words still keep coming. Come to me, believe on me, trust me, and I'll give you rest. And I, I, I would like to give that as a, as an exhortation, as an encouragement. And I'm hoping that it, it's something that you know, we, you know, you you can you can think about and and consider and and meditate upon uh, Matthew chapter 11. If you got a Bible. Take a look at it sometime. 
<laughs> 28 and 29. I, I think it'll bless you. It'll continue to, to, I think, really speak to you because that's the good news that of grace and love and care of a savior, uh, that, that, that Zenos doesn't stand for. Zenos does not even know what that is. When I hear them put people through the, through this horrible, evil rigmarole of discipline and punitive sanction, uh, that, that, that's, that's not, that's not the message of Christ. That's not what he's mentioning here at all. And, and, and that's, in essence, Zenos imposing a yoke on people that they were never meant to bear. Yes, people sin. Yes, people should repent. Yes, people should, should, should forsake their sin. And, and they should look to what Jesus said to the, to the woman who was caught in adultery. And, and, and what did he say to her? He says, look, he looked around when, when, when he, told the Pharisees ready to stone him, said, listen, you, you were ready to stone her? Let you be the first one to cast a stone. You were without sin, you cast that first stone. They all left. They split. And then what happened? He said, woman, <laughs> where are your accusers? And she says, well, they're, they're not here, Lord. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Wow. Now that's grace. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> that's grace. That, that's the love of a God in Christ by the same, by the Spirit that, 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 that Zenos knows nothing about. And true faith points us toward that. that. That's the faith I stand for. That's the God I know. That's the gospel I stand for. And, and, and this is what has, what has sustained Christian believers for decades. I mean, for, I mean, for generations. And, 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 and it's something that I hope will be a, a source of comfort to you. In the midst of this, of this devastation. And I, I'm, I'm just so sorry what's happened, but there's hope for you and others, so many lovers like you, that there is truth and grace and love found in the words of Jesus as he sends them to all of us and as he sends them to you. I'm just sharing them out to you this evening and as my own, uh, contribution towards perhaps helping you in some small way. Thank you. So, I really just have felt I had to stop and uh, share that with you because I don't want you to feel like you're 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 worthless. I don't want you to feel like there isn't a God that doesn't love you. He loves you so much. You are loved. You were loved, and you will always be loved when you look at the cross. Uh, when I when I started the ministry, I I I I came out of Roman Catholicism, and I and I. I had to put, you know, crosses and crucifixes and things behind me. But in the last few years, the older I get and the more I realize how much of the love of God is so beautifully summarized in the cross, the symbol of the cross. I wear one now because it reminds me daily of what it cost, of, of what the cost was for God to establish relationships with man again and, and be that gracious God and Savior. It's, it's that, it's, it's that the cross. Where, as the old hymn says, we first saw the light and the burdens of our heart can roll away. Uh, so, um, I really want to encourage you with that thought here, uh, Megan, is, and, um, that, you know, you are loved. You're not forgotten. And so many others like you out there are not. You may cry and rightfully so. Where was God in the middle of all that? Well, that, none of that came from him. It came from people who played gods who play who play who try to play as if they were God and could speak for him and who didn't. And and the only sad thing is that you trusted them. 
you trusted them that they would tell you the truth, that they would share with you nothing but truth, that they walked in the spirit truth, that they walked in the spirit of scripture, and that they feel out you sounded correct. But when it comes down to it, if they did not show love, what does the Bible say in First Corinthians 13? If you don't show love, if you have not love, you are you're as, as a clanging bell. You're nothing. If you have not love, you have nothing. That's what Paul wrote, and rightfully so, because love is the thing that should be motivating us in all we do. God's divinely given love through Christ in our lives. I don't see that in Xenos. <laughs> I see a bunch of religious people spilling out what they think is love. But it's religious sentiment. It's it's not divine, godly, gracious love. It, that's not what it is. And 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 you trusted that that, but that's you trust them and thought, well, no, that's what that would be. That's what that is to me. It, it, that's that's what 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 I'm finding is you know, is a, is is God's love. For, no, it, it may seem that way because they tell you it is, but your experience and your testimony. And not of you alone, but so many others prove just the opposite. And I want to declare to you as, as a, as a minister of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his name that, that what you are seeing in Xenos was completely black light. It was not true light, it was black light. And, and uh, I just want to encourage you, just keep, keep looking up to the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is. Keep looking to him. And I, I really want to encourage you just, don't give up on him, because he surely has never, ever given up on you, ever. <laughs> Thank God. He doesn't give up on any of us. Even those darkened, sad people in Xenos, he's not giving up on them either. They just have to open their eyes a little bit, a little bit bigger. Yeah. I was yeah. just thinking, you know, I was, I was one of them. I thought I was doing the loving thing and helping people. And like, but yeah, it's, <laughs> thank you for those words. You, um, are, you are so welcome. Because it's yeah. what I, it's what I share with people almost every day. In some unique way, I, I have to remind people, look, what you've seen is not the love of God. It's human religious sentiment as poisoned by pettiness and vindictiveness and evil and and and, and it's just it's that that's not the biblical the biblical form of love really is it's not and when you when you miss that mark and you start building you start building on any other foundation you're you're going to go astray and 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 I and I hope and pray and that you'll just continue to keep that in mind and keep looking up keep looking up and we've gone way beyond what our podcast normally does, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad I just had to stop and, and share you just a little bit. So, um, are there any closing thoughts or things perhaps that, you know, I mean, that you may, may want to share? Maybe there's people out there listening to this podcast who, who you knew that were in the group that are, that are still there and maybe listening to you. They're going to hear, Hey, there's going to be a Megan McGowan on the podcast. Uh, maybe they're going to be listening. Maybe there's people you'd like to leave messages to. I mean, is there a final thought maybe you'd like to share to them here? Uh, yeah. um, what would you like to say to them? 
Um, but I don't believe any of my friends while I was in Xenos really intended me harm right. or to make me suffer. Um, and I really hope that my story, not just the, um, you know, more intense, um, <laughs> horribleness of my excommunication, but also, you know, some of the red flags that I saw, um, but, you know, I excused away when I was committed. I, I just really want to encourage you to consider that and consider the, the control, um, if anyone goes against, um, the line that the leader draws. Um, and I, I really hope you have a rewarding relationship with God. I still believe God exists, even though my faith is a wreck. <laughs> but I really do believe that God loves you and wants you to not be part of such a controlling group. Yes. yes. And... I hope you can really be free of it. And if you, you know, decide to leave and you want to be friends again, I would love to be friends with you. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? I We have heard so many instances in which this podcast has gone out and touched so many people's lives that relationships are mending all around you. There's just people that despite what Xenos might say about people who've been on the podcast or people who've been associated with it have been on, there have been people reaching out and, and to, to those whose relationships were shattered by us. And, and, and they're mending. They are doing that. And, and that, that to me is, is a sign of just how screwed up Xenos really was. It, it never stood for Christian faith. It always stood about power. And, and authority and obedience and authoritarianism and, 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 but none of that, none of that can crush away the love that friends have for one another. And I'm, I, I'm going to join prayer with you that all those friends you have who you've loved and who I know you wonderfully offered your, uh, your, your positive regards to here. I, I'm just going to pray that, that you, that they just start coming out and that you guys are able to, to reestablish what, what you should have maintained all along. And, um, and that's, and that's my prayer for all those who, who've uh, been, been shattered, whose lives have been shattered by, by Xenos's evil influence. I'm just going to really, and, and it's been my prayer that, that, that God you know, use this podcast and, and use the sharing that's been going on, uh, to start things and, and, and light fires that have been Kindle in so many very cold and dark places, and that and that's certainly my prayer. So, well, I want to tell you once again, thank you so much, Megan, for coming on. It's been a, a great pleasure, and this is going to easily be the longest podcast we've ever had. I think we're pushing the two-hour mark easily now, <laughs> but it's going to be a memorable one, and I and I'm certain that uh, it's going to uh, 
speak to a lot of people. I want to thank you for sharing with us uh, uh, today. Thank you so much, Megan. And I'm looking forward to, to staying in touch with you and speaking with you more. Thank you. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.